we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and um, we're going to continue our study. Uh, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. He's in prison while he's writing the letter, and he had been their pastor for over four years, almost three and a half years, excuse me. And he wrote this letter to a church that he, he just deeply loved. And this church resided in a city that was inundated with paganism and evil. They worshipped the goddess Aphrodite, and there was uh, sexual immorality, there was drunkenness, there was drug addiction. Uh, the Temple of Aphrodite, every woman in the city that lived within the city limits was required at least twice a year to offer their services at the Temple of Aphrodite, which means that, that two times a year they would come into the city, which was a port city located um, uh, it, between two trade routes, and they would prostitute themselves and bring the money that they, they, they gained through prostitution back to the temple, and that's how they would operate the temple. So every family was affected by sexual immorality. Um, it, it, they were all plagued by sin uh, generationally, and now Paul comes in, and there's a revival in the city, so much so that a riot breaks out because the guy who was selling the little tiny uh, Aphrodite trinkets made out of silver was losing business, and he was upset, so he... He wanted a revolt to occur, and they wanted to kill Paul. Uh, but but this, this church flourished. I've been to Ephesus. It's beautiful, amazing. I, I will tell you this. I've been to over 30 countries around the world. Ephesus was my second favorite place to visit, one of the most amazing sites, my, my absolute favorite city. And I can take all the other 29 trips and combine it, and none of those trips equal the trip that I took when I went to Israel for the first time. This will be my second trip. So many of you have signed up. It is going to be awesome. We've got wonderful teachers set for each site. Imagine opening the Bible, preaching on the passage, and being right where the passage occurred. Your mind will be blown. Pastor Dave was correct in saying it's, it's worth a year of Bible college. I'd say it's worth all of my seminary education. Serious. I loved that trip. There, I've never been at more peace in all my life than when I walked around the shores of Galilee. There's something s special about that place. The peace of God just rests on that. So uh, I don't know what you're thinking of spending money on in this coming year, but investing in trip to Israel. That's my plug. Okay, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter four. We stand for the word of the Lord, sit for the word of the teacher. One we honor, the other we tolerate. We're going to pick up at verse 20. We took a look at the previous verses, our last study two weeks ago, and now we're going to pick up in verse 20, it begins by saying, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Everyone say truth. truth. Where is truth? In Jesus. The truth is where? Jesus said, I am the way, the and the life. No man comes to the father, but by me. He says, amen, amen. I am, I am the truth. Amen means true. And so he says, indeed, if you have heard Jesus and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. He says, then you put off, everyone say put off, put off, concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be re renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on, everyone say put on, put on the new man which was created according to God in true, say true, true. righteousness and holiness. Therefore, with this understanding of putting off one and putting on the other, therefore, with this understanding of putting off one and putting on the other, therefore, putting, put away lying. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who 
has me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this picture of putting off, putting on this idea of being renewed, renewed in the spirit of our mind. Lord, as it says in Romans 12, being transformed by the renewing of our mind, let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. Lord, we come into this room and we're filthy and we know it. And if we're Christians and we claim the name of Christ, you've called us to put off the old man, put on the new. You want the world to see that we're clean and sweet smelling and that what you see on the exterior matches the interior. And the man and the message are the same. Lord, we want that. We want to honor the name of Christ. We want the word Christian to be something that is held in high esteem in our nation. And God, forgive us that we've soiled that name by walking with the label but keeping on the old garments. Help us, Lord, as we study this text together. You never give us a commandment without giving us the power to obey it. And so, Lord, by your spirit, would you minister to every heart? And for those who've never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that today they've come face to face with the truth. They're looking the truth right in the eye, just as Nicodemus did. And Lord, I pray that you would minister to their hearts. Open their eyes that they would be a new creature in Christ this day. That they would receive so great a salvation. Bless them, Lord. Give them courage. And we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. In the previous study, two weeks ago, we looked at this idea of Paul, Paul the Apostle said to the church by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no longer walk. Remember that? No longer walk. And he, and he talked about this idea of, of walking in the futility of our mind, that, that not having a relationship with God, what is, what, why are you here? What is the point? And looking at the, the futility of a life lived apart from understanding who your creator is. To, to come up with some fanciful des- idea that, that you live in a, in a universe of order, you live in a world of order where there's four seasons you can count on them. The sun rises, the sun sets, we're held in space by nothing. If we move 5% closer to the sun, we burn to death. We move 5% further away, we freeze to death. We're in a delicate balance. We look at the intricacy. We say that we come up with some fanciful idea that we've evolved from single cell creatures, but yet even that is ridiculous because we look at single cells and they're just as complex as the human body before us. And then we say, well, we just happened, but in a closed system, life doesn't just happen. We went through this. Our entire food industry is based on the fact that in a closed system, life doesn't just happen. We don't want mold when we open the peanut butter. It's got to be interesting. Introduced. That's why you seal it, and you boil it, and you cook it, and you kill the life, and then you know that it's going to be safe, and there won't be any, any viruses or mold or anything like that inside what you're eating. And in a closed system, life doesn't just appear. And you, you ask some of these great scientists who are atheists, and, and they say, well, where did life come from? Because they're smart enough to realize that in a closed system, life doesn't appear, and you push him. You push Dawkins far enough, and you know what his, his statement was? It was introduced by aliens, Prometheus. All right, all right, well, let's go with that. Let's go with that. Prometheus, great movie, really brings you hope. Let's, let's go with that. Some alien put us together. Who made the aliens? Oh, well, those were other aliens. Well, let's go further then. How far do you want to go back? I mean, even if we had billions of years on it, we just look at the amount of mass that the sun burns off and we go by their numbers, uh, the, the sun would be touching the earth. This is ridiculous. We come up with all kinds of stupidity so that we just don't have to be accountable to God. The futility of your mind. And the Lord says, don't walk in that anymore. You know what keeps you from the Lord? It's not the facts. Facts are stubborn things. What keeps you from the Lord is pride. We don't want to be accountable to God. Why do we want the Ten Commandments removed from every public building in the country? We don't want our kids to read them because we're accountable to that. There's a God. When he says, do not steal, he means do not steal. When he says, thou shalt not murder, he means it. When he says, honor your mother and father, it'll go well with you. You'll live long on the earth. He means it. He means it. 
But he says, do not commit adultery. He means it. And when we find ourselves on the guilty side of it, we don't want anyone telling us what to do. And then when there's compromise and we watch as sin now becomes a rule instead of the exception and we're no longer a moral culture, we're no longer even an immoral culture, we're now an amoral culture. We don't even teach foundational truths. Everything is situational. And I'm so glad it works for you. Whenever it works for you, that's good for you. Really? Imagine if we operated our mathematical principles on that. Two plus two is three. No, it's four. No, I feel. I feel like it should be three. So I deserve an A. Well, no, two plus two is four. I know. That's, that's your position. I don't believe in absolutes. Do you believe that absolutely? No longer walk in the futility of your mind. No longer walk. We went through this. We saw the consequences of it and the emptiness of it. Be careful when you remove a wall. Before you remove that wall, you might want to ask, why was that wall there? And we went through the free love in the 60s, and now look what we're reaping after what we've sowed. And it's a nation that we don't even recognize anymore. Almost 50% of Americans are on welfare in some capacity, some, some government subsidy. Do you realize how abhorrent that would have been to our founding fathers? And, and, and here we are. We're bankrupt. We can't keep it up anymore. Even if we taxed everyone 100%, there's not enough money to pay for it. Taxes aren't the answer. Government's not the answer. God is the answer. We're walking in the futility of our minds, and the Lord says, listen, you haven't learned Christ this way. We covered that two weeks ago, but you have not so learned Christ. Listen, Christians, we're in this room studying the Scriptures not for a cursory understanding so that we can become intellectually smarter so that if someone asks a question, we can answer them. Yeah, that's important. The Bible says be prepared in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. It's, it's important. But here's why we're studying the Scriptures, so that they change us. Revival begins with a circle around you. You read the word. It's the only book in the world that you don't read it. It reads you. You open it, you read it, you obey it. You open it, you read it, you obey it. And it's important to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're born again. And just like a baby, you're born and, and you're delivered. And our job is to, is to give you the milk of the word, simple truths that you can start to comprehend and then you get to the harder things later. And we go into eschatology and the other stuff. But you start as a child and you learn, for God so loved the world. And that baby's born. Well, most of us, you've been born into the kingdom of God, you're a new creature in Christ, and that baby sits on the operating table, and, and you haven't even grown since then. You don't even open your own Bible. The only time you get any of the word is when you come on Sunday, and, and even somebody in the family has to drag you here, we've got to stick the bottle in your mouth, and you're sucking on it. And that's the only feeding you get spiritually. You're not growing up. And for children, if, if my children, I've got five of them, if they were still in diapers and still being bottle-fed, I would shoot myself. right? You want them to grow up. And so we teach the word and we, we, we offer women's studies and men's studies. And we, we have some home groups that meet and, and we have a new believer study. And then I meet with the men on Friday mornings. There's always a chance to get plugged in. We have Wednesday night studies and we have Sunday and we got Sunday mornings. We got Sunday night prayer and there's always a chance to grow. And not only that, I'll give you a free Bible and, and, and I'll give you a one-year Bible and I'll give you a reading plan. And you read it every day because the word of God is to a Christian what insulin is to a diabetic. And a lot of us are starving for spiritual food. You've got to read it. And you grow. You grow. And the Bible transforms us. And you get to a place where you're no longer waiting for me to put the bottle in your mouth. Now you know how to read the text. And now you're cross-referencing because you've, you've gone through Proverbs. And now you go, well, there's a really good proverb in Proverbs 17 that, that relates to the passage in Ephesians 4. This is so cool. And you're cross-referencing. And your mind is so excited as mercies are new every morning. And you're blown away. I've read the Bible cover to cover. I stopped counting after 10 times. And every time I open it, it's new. Like I never read it before. Not quite like, but you know, it's awesome. And every time I'm challenged by these truths. And the Lord says, this is what you've learned Christ for. You didn't learn Christ so that you could walk in the futility of your mind and be just like the world. 
And the tragedy is today. The church in, the, in America is trying to remarket itself. We don't want to use the word Christian because it's so soiled in our culture. It's, it's an anathema to be called a Christian. So we're, we're now seekers or, 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 or whatever. We, we come up with some sort of a term so that because our lives have so compromised in our walk that we haven't put off the old man and put on the new that when people go, I have heard of Christians, they're all hypocrites and blah, 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 and they just want your money. So to market with you, to keep you in so we can get your money, we no longer call ourselves Christians, so you can't label us that way. And then we tell you what you want to hear so that you'll fill the seats and give whatever pittance you give. And then we can keep the machine rolling and we turn it into the Christian industry. Just like you have the, the, the conservative industry, you have the liberal industry, everybody makes money off of what other people did when, when they poured their lives into a movement. And then we come along, we want to make a profit out of it. And the Lord says, no, you haven't learned Christ that way. He says, but you have not so learned Christ. The word Christian should mean something. It should be a profound and powerful word in the culture in which you dwell. When people think of the word Christian and they think of you, they're moved. They're challenged. Your life means something. And the Lord says through the Apostle Paul, you have not so learned Christ. He says, if, it, if indeed you have heard Jesus and you've been taught by him. This, is, this isn't a 2,000-year-old book. The Bible says that this word is living and breathing and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart. One of the greatest insults you can give me is to come up to me and say, Pastor, you really made the word come alive. Don't do that. I don't make it come alive. It is alive. It's always been alive. It's the same word that spoke the heavens into existence. It's the same word when he said, Lazarus, come forth. Had he, said, had he not said Lazarus' name, every dead person would have risen from the grave. That's the word. That's the power of the word. I don't make it come alive. I may make you come alive to it. You may be able to relate to my stories. We come alive to it. It's always been alive. Open it. Read it. Obey it. You'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. He says, indeed, if you have heard Jesus and you have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, even better, he is the truth. He is the truth. Let every man, let God be true and every man a liar, the scripture says. It's all true. That's comforting. When I watch Bob holding on and I'd read that word and we would focus on heaven, he would look and he'd say, is it true? I said, Bob, what you know of the Lord, has he always been true in that part that you've tested? He said, yes. I said, then you can count on this. He says, I can't wait. Bless the Lord. He's up there going, Rob, it's all true. <laughs> that last breath must have been amazing for my brother. Just, ah, 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 it's coming. And while we're here, let's everybody give the world a chance to glimpse it by our lives. Paul says, church, this is what we, we can do. He says in verse 22, here's what we do. Take off that filthy outfit you've been wearing. You drug yourself in here and you smelled like the north end of a southbound donkey. Bob had three shirts that we would cycle in the laundry. And when you're sick, and it was, I mean, it was, it was awful. We called it coffee grounds. I won't go into depth, but it was nasty. It'd be on his shirt and, on, you know, and we'd wash it and stain fighter and, you know, spot remover. And, and I'd, Bob, give me that shirt. And he'd take off that one. I'd put the clean one on him. I'd go, now you're good. And I'd give him a fresh rag. We'd, we'd buy these shop towels because he'd get sick and he'd have to. And the first thing he'd do is he'd take that rag because he loved the smell of the laundry detergent. He'd just hold it because it was clean to him. You just see comfort come across his face. And then it would be soiled again and I'd go get him another one. Put away that old filthy one. Here's a clean one. 
And Paul, the apostle, says to us, through, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, put off conforming your, concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And that's what it is. It's deceitful. You, you think that what you left has something still remaining for you. And the devil whispers and says, it, 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 you haven't given it a full investigation. You haven't tried it completely. There's still something there in that temptation of that adulterous affair. Just give it a shot. And those of you who know by your testimony, you know that when you engage and you listen to that lie, it was deceitful. He's the father of lies. He's the author of lies. He dresses it up and he makes it tantalizing. And he says, it's going to bless. What did he say to Eve? Did God really say? This is his tree and it's the one with the knowledge of good and evil. He's given you every other tree. You get to name them. You get to eat from them. But this one belongs to him. Don't eat of that because in eating of it, dying, you will surely die. Present progressive. And Satan said, God's holding back. Steal from his tree. Take it. And that's how Satan works. He makes it look appealing. He talks about, oh, don't worry, all the other trees, they can't offer you anything. And what, what is there in fidelity and 50 years of marriage? And, and it's just being with the same person. How boring that is. You deserve some you time. And you eat of that apple. And boy, that smiley face of Satan turns around and immediately he becomes the accuser of the brethren. You pathetic loser. You're an adulterer. God wants nothing to do with you. You're a waste of time. Have you ever had that one? Not so much for adultery, but any sin that you've engaged in. That voice is pleasant, isn't it? Oh, come on, it'll be fun. We'll have a party. Yeah, woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. And you join in. He's all, (laughs) you're a pathetic waste of space. the deceitful lusts, and that's what they are. You lust for them, but I got news for you. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. You thought it was so important, and you ran after it with all your gusto, and you get there, and you realize it's nothing. I mean, listen, if, if Hollywood is so spectacular in the lifestyles that we portray on television, we want all of our kids to emulate, we want them to be successful in the eyes of Hollywood, and they pursue that, why is every single person there divorced and miserable and going through rehab? Why are they plastered all over the paper and did you go through the checkout stand at the supermarket? We, we emulate them. We pay to have them entertain us. We think they're spectacular. We get our hair cut just like them. And, and, and then we laugh at their misery while we're trying to achieve their stardom. It's deceitful and, and it's, it's empty. I, I th- you know what? I, I think about this idea of what we do to our bodies to try to obtain this perfection especially being $15 trillion in debt and knowing how we're struggling as a culture. You know what? I got news. Let's everybody have plastic surgery. Let's all do it. And the plastic surgery is, let's just cut up our credit cards. Get it? Plastic? Never mind. Okay. <laughs> I thought that would be funnier. I didn't do it first service. And I would have known. <laughs> They're the guinea pigs. <laughs> They're sweet guinea pigs, though. Put off... Put off the old man concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And then he says, be renewed by the spirit of your mind. How do you change your mind? How do, you talk about renewed, and the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and, I, and I got news for you. It's real simple how you, how you have a renewed mind. Your mind is filthy and it needs to be washed. Oh, pastor, if I put that together, I'm hearing brainwash. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You fill it with enough filth, let's wash it a little bit. 
Bring in truth. Bring in understanding. Bring in enlightenment. Bring in blessing. Bring in the mind of Christ so that when you're watching the filth on the idiot box in the corner of your living room, the window into hell, and you're just, you know, desperate housewife. <laughs> Who won the dance thing? <laughs> Who can sing? <laughs> oh, what do they have to say about life? They're 16 years old. Oh, <laughs> I want to be just like them. <laughs> and we're just glued. And then you open the word in the morning. And God starts to minister to you and the, the washing occurs and you're renewed by the transforming of your mind. Yeah, that's how it works. Open it, read it, obey it. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. Let his word dictate your steps. Read it. Listen, if you have a struggle, read. start with Proverbs. For years, all I read was Proverbs. There's 31 Proverbs, 31 days in a month. Read an entire chapter of Proverbs a day. Start there. Go through the book of John. That's easy. I started to enjoy Psalms. I do Psalms and Proverbs pretty much every morning. Wisdom and praise. Can't go wrong. And then I started reading it cover to cover in its entirety and in a context. And then I started, and then now I do chronological. I, I got all kinds of ways to go through it. I love it. Do it. And it's, it's, it's the renewal aspect of it, what it does to the mind. And this is what happens. Verse 24, you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 24, and that you put on, remember we said put off? Now put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we walked in, having been fallen creatures in a fallen world, and everybody can list your sins. And one of the things I love about giving testimonies, and we're going to have our last Sunday in August, we're going to do church in the park, over at Borchard Park. I'm going to pick folks in the congregation. You're going to give testimonies. Uh, five to seven minute testimonies and we're going to have worship out there and we're going to have people share and we're going to invite the community to come out for church in the park and you're going to give a public testimony and then afterwards we're going to do baptisms. We're going to do baptisms in the park. Public place. Some of you are going, oh man, I haven't been baptized. I don't want to do that. Couldn't we do it in a closet or something? Because I don't know. <laughs> no, and you're going to invite all your friends, your unsafe friends and they're going to watch. And they're going to see that you're going to go in, the old man's going to go in, the new man's going to come out. You're going to put off the old man, you're going to put on the new man. You're going to make a public profession of faith and say, watch as I walk differently. And the beauty of testimonies is some of you in the room think, I don't belong here because you don't know the sin in my life. I got news for you. I do. And if I haven't done it, I certainly have thought about it. And just give me time without the Lord, and I will accomplish whatever you feel you've achieved. I'm just as vile as you are. In me that is in my flesh dwells no, no good thing. And to hear a testimony sets us at ease and also encourages us to walk along the lines of the new man. Shows us how to put off and how to put on, how to put off and how to put on. We're in it together. We're a body of believers. We want the name of Christ to mean something as we walk around with the title Christian that people can see we put it off and we put it on. We put off the old man, we put on the new man. And in doing that, we were created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Holiness means set apart, sanctified, separated. So that the world goes, yeah, this is a general population, but those are Christians. They walk differently, they talk differently, they act differently. Uh, they're, they're not into adultery. They're not into, yeah, they're different. Amen. Amen. You walk into a room and they're all cussing and they're foul mouth and you walk in, they go, oh, so-and-so's here. Good. Good. Truth just walked in. 
And they're accountable before God. And you walked in representing Christ in the room changed. Yes. Good. Now don't walk in going, well, look at this. A room full of pagan sinners. Well, you're all going to hell in a handbag. How pleasant. That's not what we're talking about. You walk in and you go, hey, Betty, it's your birthday. Nobody else remembered. I did. Lord, put on my heart. I've been praying for you. Joe, how's your sister doing? I brought you something. You said you didn't have a pocket knife. I found one. I thought you'd want this. You know the thing you're having trouble with? I got that fixed for you. It's not just coming in and throwing out rules. It's walking in transforming a room. Because Jesus just walked in. You work hard. You hold that name up. You put on the new man. You walk in holiness. You're separated. You're sanctified, set apart. Let me go to verse 25. With that understanding of putting off the old man and putting on the new man, with that understanding of putting off the old man and putting on the new man, with that understanding of putting off the old man, putting on the new man, Paul then says, therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you ask, what is it therefore? Therefore. Here's how you put off the old man. Ready? Look at me. Here's how you put off the old man. First, the first part is putting away lying. Listen to me. A half-truth is a whole lie. Don't lie. It is a sin to lie. That's it. Don't lie anymore. Hardest part of ministry. Hardest part of ministry. Sitting in front of somebody and trying to figure out what is true and what isn't. We have taken lying to a whole new level. I've been lied to in ways you can't even imagine. I shared with you the story about the guy that I received a letter at Christmas time and the letter was written by this person saying how wonderful this other person was and how they had helped them in times of need and this person was amazing and just so spectacular and what they'd done to lead them to Christ and how they helped them move and how they helped them in, and on and on and on. Just, it, was a be- it was a beautiful letter. I could put it on the internet. Actually, it, I read it to my brother. He put it on the internet. It went viral. I go, Lauren, you got to take that off now. He goes, why? And I go, you'll never believe it. The letter was written praising this man, and this man was the one who wrote the letter. And he wrote it so that I'd write him a check. And he'd been in the church five years. Stop lying. I I wasn't raised with an appreciation for the truth. In my family, you told your parents whatever it is they wanted to hear so they wouldn't, they'd just leave you alone. And they were drunk anyways and they wouldn't remember whatever I could do to get the money out of their wallet, I'd do it. Whatever I had to say so they just get off my back, I'd say it. That's a tragedy. It's a travesty. It's a traversham mockery. I just quoted a beer commercial. You see how filthy? You see how filthy it is? And, I, and then the Lord puts me with my wife. I want you to hear this. She is the most honest person I have ever met in my entire life. I have been with her for 22 years. I've watched her in every circumstance imaginable. And I have never seen her lie. Not once. Not even shade it. Not even play with it. Not even try to mess with it. Always walking in the truth. She's instilled that in our children. People say, Rob, you have five kids. Well, Michelle has six. We were first married and I was a sales rep and, and I, you know, I got a phone call and it was a disgruntled customer 
And I go, tell him I'm out. She goes, I'm not going to lie for you. I'd step outside the front door. I go, tell him I stepped out. <laughs> she takes the phone. She goes, he'll be right here. Just a moment. I'm like, oh, what kind of a helpmate are you? Supposed to submit, woman. <laughs> to my evil schemings. Hey. Think, of, think about how we lie. Now, speak the truth in love. You can, someone says, you know, does this dress, you know, make me look fat? And you say, no, your neck does. <laughs> That's not speaking the truth in love. You know, when I ask my wife, does this, does this shirt make me look skinny? She says, no. <laughs> she says, no, it doesn't. I go, why? I mean, it's got the lines and the vertical. And she says, because you need to lose weight, sweetie. And it'd be healthier for you. But she never tells me that I'm supposed to eat or she doesn't go, well, if you keep eating that, you're going to get... She doesn't do that. But if I ask her, she tells me. Right? Maybe you don't agree with that. I appreciate it. Speaking the truth in love. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Imagine what would happen in the body of Christ if we all told the truth. And you're standing with someone talking to them and you know that you're totally connected because they're telling you the truth. Isn't that a blessing? You never have to worry about it or wonder about it. What it would do for the body of Christ, what it would do for the community, that your yes would be yes and your no would be no, and you'd do everything on a handshake, and you'd know that person's hand you just shook. You know them. You know it'll get done. You know the work is under the Lord. And they know you to be honest and fair and that the price would be paid, and it'll be paid on time, and the check won't bounce. You know it. Oh, wouldn't that be good? But now we need a team of lawyers. It's awful. Had a young fellow that, you know, was going through some struggles. We had him leave and he came back and was doing some stuff with, you know, the court system and, uh, you know, just kind of hanging around. And I, I, he's welcome to hang around. And, yeah, he's lied to me on a number of occasions. And caught him in every one. I've never looked for it. It just comes to me. And I'm, I'm visiting Bob, and I'm on my way back, and the phone rings, and it's a call from a member of the congregation. They're saying, uh, does so-and-so work for the church, and is he expecting a paycheck? And I said, nope. Well, I saw him in the parking lot, and they, he was low on gas, and I gave him some money. and hmm. So I called him up, and I said, did you say this? No, I never said that, no. They must have misunderstood. I go, okay, time out. They didn't misunderstand you working for the church and paycheck. I don't know how that can just come out of thin air. I said, and this person's never lied to me, and you've lied to me countless times. I said, even if, if they're wrong and you're right, your reputation is such that I don't trust you, I need you to leave now. You're not going to take advantage of this congregation. Go. You guys think that's harsh? I've poured my life out. I've let him live in my home. I've gone the extra length. I want to help him. He doesn't want to be helped. And the only way that you can be helped is to be honest. I'm going to stop with this and move on. But listen to this if you get nothing else out of it, especially if you're not a Christian this morning, and especially if you're struggling with an addiction. Pay attention to me. Please listen. God is going to judge, and you will stand before him and give an accounting of your life. He already knows everything you're doing. All things are laid bare before his eyes, and he knows it. 
He knows what websites you've been at. He knows who you've been hanging out with. He knows what you've been saying in secret. He knows it all. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything. Whether you believe it or not, that's the truth. And there will be a judgment. Now, if on this earth you confess your sins and declare yourself to be a sinner and say, Lord, help me, he'll help you. But there's one requirement. If you want God's mercy, there's one requirement. And King David understood this. And this is why they called him the sweet psalmist of Israel. When you're honest with God, he will always be merciful with you. When you're honest with God, he will always be merciful with you. You lie to him, God help you. You're honest, he's merciful. You lie, you're judged. Confess it. Take it off. Put on Christ. Today's a day of salvation. Let's move on. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. We need community, and community is built on truth. And if, as if, and as Christians, if we can't be taken at our word, then we don't represent the truth, who is Jesus Christ. Christians don't lie. One more, amen. amen. Okay, verse twenty-six: Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath or do not let the sun go down on your anger. Phyllis Diller used to say, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Stay up and fight. <laughs> Even the world can pervert a great text. The scripture says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Anger is of the old man. It's flesh. Some of you have such a short fuse, you're about to explode. Everything just sets you off. You're angry about everything. You have a temper that's just violent. Let me tell you, the times I have been the worst father on the planet are the times I've been angry. Parenting in anger is worthless. Disciplining in anger is worthless. Don't do it. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. <laughs> in your anger, do not sin. Well, here's, 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 how you can, here's how you can sin when you're angry. If you just open your mouth, right? You just open your mouth when you're angry and you're sinning. I would say the only way that you can not sin while being angry is while you're in a coma. So what do we do? We put off anger. The Bible says the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. It doesn't. And why are you yelling anyways? You know why you yell? Because your words have no weight. And you know what wrath is? Wrath is, is, is this cauldron of, of unforgiveness just boiling to the point where it's scorching you and poisoning your family. And it's your bitterness and your unforgiveness. God doesn't tolerate unforgiveness in the life of his children. The whole parable of the man that was forgiven $10 million and, 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 and then went to his friend who owed him $10 and was strangling him for the 10 bucks. And then the other servant saw it, went back and told the master who had forgiven him 10 million and said, look what he's doing to the guy that owes him 10 bucks. He called him back in and he says, I forgave you $10 million. You're strangling your friend for 10. He didn't call him wicked when he owed him $10 million. He didn't call him wicked when he couldn't repay it and said he would. He didn't call him wicked any of those times. You know when he called him wicked? He called him wicked when he wouldn't forgive. As God has forgiven you, so forgive one another. I didn't say sweep it under the rug. I said, let God deal with the consequences of their actions and move on with your life. You're giving them a key to keep you in the prison of misery and anger. And that wrath is boiling in the cauldron of misery. Stop. Quit being angry. Christians are gentle and peaceable and willing to yield. When you speak, speak with a firmness, but not anger. 
really, how, how often is our anger ever justified? I can't think of any time. And finally, with this thought, if God treated you the same way you treat others when you've been wronged, do you think you'd be here this morning? Praise God for His mercy. Has He ever yelled at you? Has He ever yelled at you? I have from the pulpit, but not the Lord. Has the Lord ever yelled at you? Be tender. In your anger, do not sin. What does it do? It gives place to the devil. The devil loves it when we can destroy relationships by our anger. Nobody wants to be around an angry person. Let it go, Christian. Take it off and put on Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now, finally, this is what we'll close with. Verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer. Let him who stole steal no longer. The eighth commandment, Exodus 20, 15, thou shalt not steal. You're not a thief based on the value of what you steal. You're a thief because you steal. I don't care if it's a paper clip. You're a thief. Christians don't steal. I remember the commercial for that one hotel. They said, towels at our hotel are so thick, you'll have trouble getting them in your suitcase. You know why they said that? Because people steal their towels. I worked at the Hotel Del Coronado, 1983, and I was told by the purser there that their silverware budget every year was over $250,000 at the Hotel Del because everybody stole the Hotel Del silverware. I've got some of it in my house. (laughs) I bought it at a garage sale. All right, I'm guilty. (laughs) I said that first service, and I was walking away, and somebody says, you need to mail that back to him. (laughs) I promise you I will. Christians don't steal. No more. It's interesting how he combines it. In the last five minutes, he says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor. And the word labor means to work unto exhaustion. Exodus 22 said, if a man steals somebody else's ox, you pay him back four oxen for the one you stole. Not only do you return the one, but you give him four in addition. So it's five to one. And if you can't pay that, you work for him for six years. There's restitution in, in thievery. We don't do that nowadays. But here's the thing. Satan is the, is the thief of all time. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes... The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. But, you know, you have something stolen. You, you put a, uh, you know, your wallet on the front seat of your car. You come back, the window's broken, your wallet's gone. And what's the first thing you, the insurance company says? Why did you put your wallet in the front seat? Wait a minute. When did I get on trial? It was my wallet. It was my car. Why are you questioning me? I didn't steal anything. You don't don't steal from the government. You don't steal from your family. You don't steal from your friends. You don't steal from your enemies. You don't steal anything. And when he says at this point, but rather let him labor, you put off stealing and you put on hard work. And the word labor is what Paul uses throughout. And Paul was a tent maker. And he said in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he goes, I labored for you. I, I was never a burden to you. I worked my tail off for you. He says, I love you. Ecclesiastes says the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. There's nothing. God created us to work hard. 
And more than 50% of Americans are on, on, on government subsidy. Our, our founding fathers would be appalled. And when the scripture says labor, when Jesus went to find his disciples, he saw Peter, James, and John. They were, they were mending nets. These guys were fishing. When he called Moses, he was t- God called Moses, he was tending sheep. David was tending his father's sheep. Elisha was working a yoke of oxen. God looks for people who work. Paul was a laborer. I mean, think about all the, the, the mind that you have to come up with just to steal. Put that towards working hard. Labor with your hands. There's reward for it. God, God blesses you with that. You're, you're mentally stable when you do those things as unto the Lord. It does wonders for the human soul. And let me tell you something. If you're able to work and you don't, you're stealing. If you're receiving something for work you're not doing, you're stealing. If you're on subsidy, and I'll probably lose some people in the congregation. If you're on a subsidy and you have the ability to work, you need to be working. We're Christians. I don't care if everyone else is doing it. Work. Work hard. Let people see how Christians labor. And here's what we close with. Working with your hands, what is good? You build things with your hands. You change lives. It's been said that if you teach your child a trade, they'll never become a thief. If you don't teach your child how to work, you're going to teach them how to steal. The greatest reward of hard work is not what we get The greatest reward of our hard work is not what we get, but our greatest reward from hard work is what we become because of it. It builds character. Hard work produces character. When you wake up in the morning, thank God that you have something to do that needs to be done. Isn't that a good life? Instead of waking up and going, man, I don't have anything to do today. Maybe I'll achieve level nine on that computer thing. I kind of need to get cigarettes. And then I got to go pick up my check. (laughs) Go work. Go volunteer. Pour your life somewhere. Sweat a little bit. Quit being self-consumed and lazy. Idle hands, idle minds are the devil's workshop. And when I said the last portion of the verse is what what we need to focus on as this comes to a close, it says the reason why we labor and we work hard is this simple reason, that we may have something to give to him who has need. And we may have something to give to him who has needs. Malachi 3.10, 3.9 and 10. God says, this is the last book of the Old Testament. You are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation, says the Lord. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. The law declares that we tithe 10% of our income before taxes to the Lord's work. That's the law. I'm so glad we're not under the law. Amen? You know what we're under nowadays? It's grace. I love grace. Grace had the ability to overcome the law. We were under the law of sin and death. We've been set free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. By his grace, we've been set free. So you know what grace is? Grace is greater than the law. Wait a minute. Think about it. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. Now, before I go any further, you're going to see in our congregational meeting that we have an increase in giving in the church. We are in no need. We're doing really well as a body of believers. 
Pound for pound, this is the most giving church on the face of the earth. There's a more generous group of human beings I've ever met in all my life. When I put the call out to come and minister to my friend in his dying days, there was more than enough. You people are precious. I don't share this because we need anything. I share this because we're putting on Christ. To give to the Lord is like going to his house and seeing a beautiful vase on his mantle. You take the vase, you go home with it. And then you wrap it up in a box and you go back to the Lord's house and you go, look what I brought you as a gift. And God goes, oh, my vase. Puts it back up. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein, everything we have, he's given us. He lets us give to him to set us free from being in bondage to things and being in love with him. It is worship. Just like you sing and just like you read, that's how you grow up in Christ. You give. You work hard and you give. And why do you give? So that others will be blessed. And we take what's given, we pray over it, and we put it where the need is the greatest. And so we labor. We put off the old man. We don't lie. We don't steal. And we don't get angry. And we put on the new man. We work hard. And we give. And we're tender. And we're honest. And people can count on us. And the word Christian means something. That's who we are. And that is what we do. Amen.